it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, here in New York City at least. And this week we share the naughty and the nice news of the theater world with you. <laughs> On the Broadway Bulletin, that is. <laughs> so, first off, um, we're going to get the, the sad news the out of the way. The naughty news. The naughty news. The sad news. Um, K-pop post closed on uh december 11th yeah that was very disappointing and sad to see uh the show go so quickly too mm-hmm. i mean they opened about two weeks ago well three weeks ago and here today gone tomorrow um very upsetting because it a lot of work into that show it was a different show high energy but it was still a good show all around i thought but not everyone agrees with us so in more disappointing news, uh, I maybe disappointing, but you know, uh, Stomp is closing on January eighth after a twenty nine year run. Yeah, Stomp has been an off Broadway staple for twenty nine years, and at the Orpheum Theater down there in the Lower East Side, and now it's packing up. So um, that's I'm like it's sad news, but I'm like also twenty nine years. That's that's a long run for a show like Stomp. So, um, but you know. I'm glad you got to see it finally. Me too. Last fall, but uh, yeah. hopefully uh, a tour or some form of a, an annual concert or somewhat will be done. Ain't no mo is to close after eviction after an eviction notice was served, um, and they are to close on December eighteenth. Um, now the playwright Jordan E. Cooper, who is the youngest black. Yeah. Playwright, youngest playwright period to be produced on Broadway. On Broadway, yeah. Um, but so he has been launching a campaign to try and save the show, um, citing past stories such as like The Wiz. Um, when The Wiz was on Broadway originally, um, they were going to close because, and you can get evicted out of your theater for lack of ticket sales. And so that's the, basically what they're saying right now is they're not turning a profit. And so The Wiz was such a fan favorite that they were able to pack the house and save the show from closing, and it would go on to run for years And that's what they're trying to do with Ain't No Mo. Yeah. Um, And there's a huge campaign, particularly on social media. Uh, We are also a part of it and supporting it, which is hashtag Save Ain't No Mo. But it's got huge support from great theater giants like Lynn Nottage, Dominique Marceau, also, um, other community members such as uh, Will Smith, Will, Will and, and Jada, Jada, Jada Smith. Smith, they bought entire shows out. Yeah. And they're just giving the tickets away. And that's been the big thing of even if you can't come, just buy the tickets and let someone else come who maybe couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully this pays off because this show is so important. Well, and that's what I love that this is our community coming together and saying, like, listen, art for. Art for the sake of community is also important and deserves to be on a big platform like Broadway. So let's do what we can because we understand it's a money-making game. So let's do what we can to show that these are our values and this is what's important to us. Well, it's also so frustrating because I have seen shows with less filled capacity that have gotten to run longer. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, you let the show run for two weeks and then you're like, yeah, it's just not going to work out. At least let them run for the, through the holidays. Mm-hmm. Especially because we've seen gonna, a lot of sales day of. Yeah, and it's going to be, I mean, especially through the holiday season, people are going to be looking for a show. And so. 
I mean, this is not your family-friendly, make-you-feel-good musical, but this is such an important, important piece of theater. I cannot emphasize that enough, which is one of the reasons why we're a huge supporter of Save Ain't No Mo. It needs to be seen. It needs to be taught. It cannot end in two weeks. Mm -mm, Not going to let that happen. So um, if you are in the New York City area, or if you're in a position to support the show, buy a ticket, come see it, buy a ticket and give it to someone else. Help people who maybe can't afford the ticket to witness this incredible work. You know, many hands make light the work, you know. Um, And rounding out this week on Broadway, uh, we kind of go on the other end of the spectrum from the youngest playwright on Broadway to an older playwright uh, on Broadway, but an older playwright of color um, with the Ohio State Murders. Yeah, so Adrienne Kennedy, um, she has been um, a playwright and doing works for a very long time, since the 60s, and she's been teaching playwriting. She has... I mean, she's won an Obie Award as mm-hmm. well as a Lifetime Achievement Award, and she's in the Theater Hall of Fame. So the fact that her work has yet to be produced on Broadway until now, until now, um, is very shocking. And I'm so happy, so happy that she's her yeah. work is being done. And it's starring the legendary Audra McDonald, and that show, Ohio State Murders, opened on December eighth. Um, to, as far as I understand it, rave reviews, but who really cares about reviews? You know. It's but it, best to make up your mind yourself. It's true, but it's it's wonderful to see, again, people of color, stories done by people of color. If that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we head into some community, theater community news. So there's a couple of adaptations of hit Broadway musicals being turned into films. Uh, they've got a lot of big news around it. And the big one that came out this week was Mean Girls, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't know they were turned into a, a movie. I didn't know they were either until no. recent, very recently. But they've got a huge announcement as to the role of Damien. Um, recent Tony nominee, Jaquel Spivey, who yes, in a strange, who's he stars in A Strange Loop as Usher. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was his first, that's his first Broadway role. And he's killing it in that show. Well, now he's going to be Damien in uh, Mean Girls and Musical, which is iconic. I mean, it's an iconic show. And to get in that iconic role, I can't wait. I cannot wait. Right. And um, the roles of Caddy Heron and Regina George are also being played by the people who have played them on stage. Right. So instead of going for big name actors or actresses, they're using stage performers, which is great. That's, I mean, when it comes to a musical, you, that's kind of what you'd like to see, you know. Although yeah. there are some, like, Hollywood actors, Meryl Streep, love you, who can, and, and Christine Baranski, who can sing and act on film. There are people who've already done the work that you're like, just saying, we got right. it. Right, and so it's it's refreshing to see um, casting like that being done. Now, you've got a mixed bag in this next one, which is highly anticipated. I feel like we've been waiting for, like, 40 years for this, uh, it's going to be a two-parter, which is Wicked, the musical. Right. Now, a lot of the roles have already been announced, but we heard more of the cast kind of being unveiled. So previously, we heard that Cynthia Revo is going to be playing Alphaba. And Ariana, Ariana Grande, Grande is going to be Glinda. We now have learned that Ethan Slater is playing Bach. 
uh, Michelle Yu is playing Metamorable. Bowen Yang and uh, Kiala Settle are going to be in the ensemble, or I think they might they, have... They, they were given named roles that I didn't recognize. Yeah, so, so they're adjusting the story a little bit. The fact so. that it's two parts thinks ago, what a, I'm interested, but I'm also like, easy tiger, don't, don't mess with what's good. Right. The big announcement for me this week, and I'm actually okay with this, is... Jeff Goldblum is playing the wizard. Yeah. And, you know, at first you're like, really? There's no one else in, in, I'll say, the theater community that could jump in? But I'm like, oh my gosh, I love Jeff Goldblum. Right. Well, and also I was reading an article that was saying that uh, that uh, Stephen Schwartz is wanting to add three new songs Which to sounds the show. about right. I'm yeah. just imagining, you know... Jeff Goldblum, uh, a wonderful. They uh, they called me wonderful, and so <laughs> right. So it'll be very interesting. <laughs> I know that when it comes to uh, the movie release of Wicked, um, the bar is high. The bar is high, especially because the musical itself was such. You know, it's so well known and it's such an iconic hit. You, you know, you can't. Well, and the fact that the adaptation, because it's an adaptation of a book is so different than the source material. Right. Um, so it's just kind of, it'll be interesting to see you have how they... To be, you have to deliver what the audience is expecting with it, is a thing. You can't stray too far from the path on that one. Otherwise, I feel like it's going to end up as a dud. Right, As especially with Wicked being one of the best, like, introductory musicals for so right. many people. It's, I don't know, it'll be interesting to see it, and it'll be interesting that it's going to be a two-parter, so... Yeah. Um, just a couple more things. Um, rising from the ashes. This was literally the headline, which I love. Rebecca the musical will have its first English production in London next fall. So could Rebecca actually be coming to Broadway soon? I mean, that it's coming off of Wicked. It was so scandalosis, <laughs> you know, about uh, all of that. If you don't know the Rebecca story, just Google it. You'll be able to find the whole lawsuits and everything. I mean, it is. Well, it's and, a play in, in and of itself. Well, and the thing about Rebecca is, there's been a lot of different attempts at adapting this for a musical. Well, there's a brilliant um, production of it that has existed and been done in Germany, but it's almost like that evil producer that basically foiled Paradise Square. There just gets all these this money and producers quarrel that has prevented it from coming to London or New York. Mm-hmm. So. Here's hoping, but we now have an official venue, date, everything for a London premiere. So there will also be a uh, concert performance of Chess, starring Darren Chris, Lena Hall, Robin Karamloo, and Soya Pfeiffer, among others. <laughs> I got you. I, I know you saw those names and you went, uh-oh. I know the names. I just have a hard time saying them sometimes. <laughs> that concert of chess is going to be taking place on December 12th, and it's going to be enter, uh, benefiting the Entertainment Community Fund. So that's kind of cool. And Yeah. Who be knows a... what's going to come of this concert right, performance well, of chess? And the, the uh, Entertainment Community Fund does a lot to help people who work both on and behind the scenes of shows they offer mental health services um as well as just other very important community yes. um things yes absolutely and what's what's not just from the benefit end of it but also from the um if you're eyeing what could be or could not be coming i mean go back a couple episodes of sage whisper when we talked about violet violet was done 
like this as a benefit concert, and then two years later it's being produced at the Roundabout Theater. So there has been a lot of murmur about a possible chess um, revival. Mm-hmm. Could this be putting a toe in the water to see how people respond? Is it doable? Blah, 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 blah. Who knows? Right. So, should we go on to some show chatter? Yes. Um, so I'm very excited about this one. Uh, Fat Ham is going to be going to Broadway. I feel like that's almost like Santa Claus is coming to town. Fat <laughs> Ham is coming to Broadway. <laughs> Santa, I know it. Yeah, anyway. Right, yeah. They're, they're moving this amazing production from the public and moving it to Broadway. To the American Airlines Theater. Now, so this is interesting. Roundabout Theater doesn't typically do new works. They typically do revivals. But Fat Ham is playing at the American Airlines Theater. Roundabout had not announced yet what their spring show was going to be. But they said to be announced. And now we know what it's going to be. And it is a masterpiece of a show. So I'm very excited to see how it's done. You know, I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. This is just a brilliant show. Speaking of brilliant shows, a limited run show has just announced a huge extension. Uh, Leopoldstadt, Tom Stopper's Leopoldstadt mm-hmm. has announced an extension through July. Yeah, they were, they when they originally um, took over the theater, they were like, yeah, we're going to be here till March, and it'll be fine. And now they're extending till July. It's a four-month extension. So it's, if you haven't gotten to see that show, I mean, four more months, guys. That's incredible. So now we just want to touch on a few shows that we uh, took in this week. Uh, starting with that big Broadway opening, which was the Ohio State Murders. Oh my gosh. It, it, first, can we just say Audra can do no wrong? It was beautifully done. It yeah. was so beautifully done. And the way that they paid homage to Adrian, Adrian Kennedy. Yes. Um, the beginning and end of the show played a recorded interview with her. The fact that she was present in some form in the curtain call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The story itself was done brilliantly. It reminded me of that play we saw um, with Carrie. What's her name? We saw it at the Minetta Lane Theater, Boys and Girls. Oh, yes. And um, it's going to bother me. Mulligan? Carrie Mulligan. It reminded me of that where you kind of knew where the story was going to go. And yet you were still shocked and just, oh. And the way that they just did everything. Well, and I loved, um, the show is outlined like a... a lecture. Like a lecture. So you already know what the story is going to be about in the beginning because she tells you. Yeah, but you still, like, it leaves your mind. And so you go on the adventure. And the way that the characters are represented, the fact... I mean... The way the characters are represented and the way that they interact with Audra's, you know, character, the way that props or other things like the babies are introduced or represented is brilliant. The thing that I left the most impact, societally I'll say, is that here is a woman of color whose story has been covered up for so long. And out of the 90-minute long show, let's say, 85 minutes of it was her talking. She finally had the chance of her talking. To focus on her and the impact of it it on her. And everybody else in the show 
got the other five minutes. They had to split it amongst them. There was maybe two pages of the script that was for everybody else. The rest was Audra. And And I appreciated that because I'm like, no one has heard her story. The story is being told by the other guy. Mm -hmm. Which we're not going to give away who the other guy is or what happened. But, you know, I really appreciated that, that, you know, it goes back to the history is told by through through the lens of who who remembered it or whose history it is. Or who writes it. Right, right. So this was a great show. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing uh, Roundabout Theater at their underground, their underground production of The Bandage Place, mm-hmm. which was also a really great production. I believe it's actually sold out for the rest of its run. Oh, that's amazing. About a dancer who is um, in a domestically abusive relationship. Um, And what was really interesting about this show is it explored a complex relationship, a complex situation, but a common situation. So, for instance, he is a gay black dancer, but he has a daughter. And you're like, wait, how does that happen? Well, he and his best friend were like, they got, you know, drunk and they're like, we should try this. When they were young in high school, well, they she ended up getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And he, being a good guy, was like, I have to take care of this. And she was like, I don't feel like being a mother and up and left. So he's left with his daughter that he cares for. Mm-hmm. Um, but his grandmother does the bulk of the raising. But he was in a very abusive relationship, uh, which included his former partner stabbing him. Oh, God. That's where we kind of start. And where we end is another attack where he almost dies. Oh, my God. And it shows the horror, like the horrors of domestic violence and the viciousness of that cycle. But what I loved about it is it's not your typical man-woman. Mm-hmm. It's a different dynamic. Mm-hmm. And it's like domestic violence is not just men beating up on women. Yeah. It exists in multiple facets. And it was very disturbing. Very moving. Very, it's a beautiful tale. So they did a great job. I just want to give two shout-outs to two shows I saw. First, uh, guests of the show, um, Latina Christmas Special. I saw them on Friday, and it was a wonderful show. Um, they, they closed yesterday. They're heading back to L.A. But it was wonderful. It was touching. It was funny. Um... I had so much fun. Well, what I appreciated about after you saw it is you said it really helped you connect with your Latin roots that you have always felt really distant from. Yeah. And I really also appreciated the fact that they emphasize I never, like, I never saw me and my family on TV. And, like, I love Christmas specials and all that, but, like, I didn't have any of those, like, Christmas moments. Like, you know, nobody was... But that, I mean, my that's my family. And I love mm-hmm. my family. They're that way. Um, but getting to see them afterwards and the love and warmth that they expressed towards me was so wonderful. And I just wish all the best to them. And I hope anyone anywhere gets to see the show because it really is, it is so heartfelt. There, our interview did not do justice to how heartfelt and how funny it is. It really is, it's, it's a nice hour and a half of just sharing and 
good times. And if you grew up in the 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you're also going to have great flashbacks to some great toys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then I saw uh, part of the final cycle of Serials by the Flood Collective. Great friends of the show, the Flood Collective. Um, I love Serials. I'm so happy our friend Keith Weiss introduced us to this because it's so much fun. Basically, there are five shows performed, five 10-minute episodes. You vote on three. Three get to move on. Mm -hmm. So that week, you're going to see two pilot episodes, essentially, and three are going to build up off of whatever happened last week. Mm -hmm. So two of the ones we saw on on Friday were ones that have been going, like, since I showed up in August. That's awesome. And you're just, you're hooked on the story, and you're like, I got to know more. But what's, I mean, go back and listen to the interview we had with them, because they announced the winners Saturday night. Mm -hmm. These, and, and there's another, the final cycle of the year is this week. But these playwrights have Monday and Tuesday to write it. The cast have Wednesday and Thursday to rehearse it and tech it. And then Friday it goes up. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a quick turnaround. And, I mean, it's not elaborately produced with, you know, beautiful costume. But it's it's like theater at its finest. Well, and it's at its, at its most raw core, uh, you know, humanity. And it's so much fun. It's totally downtown theater in the best. So... If you are free this weekend, check out the Flood Collective's final cycle of serials before next year. And make sure, also check them out because they're in the middle of a huge fundraising uh, to raise $10,000 to help fund next year's serials to pay. It's just to pay their artists. It's not to like build a new build. Pay their artists. And that is wonderful to support artists in that area, downtown theater. They're really great people. So... Speaking of supporting artists, tis the season, Hope. Yeah, and tis tis us artists who tis us tis us artists who need some uh, support. Supporting, <laughs> yeah. If you have been enjoying the show um, and have noticed any changes, particularly with our main episode of Stage Whisperer, our our producer has started, um, Sarah Harley. Things are changing. Things are happening here, and if you want to help us continue to make sure those things continue to happen head on over to patreon.com slash stage whisper pod a lot of options for you to be able to give and support our show you can get a backstage pass which comes with some fantastic benefits or you can just leave a monthly tip in our tip jar and feel good yourself make us feel good well and every little bit helps because with your contribution that allows us to go out and see some of these lesser known shows to help patron them to help get the word out to help yes. get the community bigger and just be more inclusive it might just be a dollar to you but that dollar goes so far so if you're able to please help support us if you're not Go find someone else who's able to support us. Right. If you're not still, please like, share, pass on our videos, pass on our interviews. Um, let someone you know know about our Instagram, Stage Whisper Pod. Um, yeah, it's been insane. The the feedback we've gotten and the, the numbers we've been seeing around the show. I never thought, if you had asked me a year ago, like, do you think this is? No, I would have been like, no, this isn't a thing. But we appreciate all of you out there. Uh if you're able to, like we said, please give Stage Whisper Pod or patreon.com slash Stage Whisper Pod. And speaking of giving 
and tis the season. We have a great interview to give for you um, with a director of a show who I get to see this Friday. This is the first where I interview someone right before I see the show. This is really exciting. Um, I've interviewed people before. I've seen the show before, but like I have a ticket. I'm like, oh, I come in a couple days. Um, I sat down with director um, Ryan Emmons, who is the director of Ye Bear and Ye Cub, playing at 5090, 59 Theaters. Uh, and it's presented and created by Number 11 Productions. So please enjoy this episode of Whisper in the Week. Hello, everyone, and welcome back into another fabulous episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a very fantastic guest today. Joining us, we have the director, Ryan Emmons, who is the director of Ye Bear and Ye Cub, which is created and presented by Number 11 Productions. It's being performed December 13th through the 23rd at 59E uh, 59 theaters. This is a show that we are attending this coming Friday, uh, December 17th, if memory serves me right on the date. But make sure you get your tickets for this because we are excited about this show. So, Ryan, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited about this show. Uh, as we mentioned before we started, I've never had someone on uh, talking about a show that I'm about to see. So I'm excited to hear more about it, but also like no spoilers. <laughs> but I've, I've been very excited about this show. Um, it's it's the second of three shows, uh, part of what I'll say is the winter season at 59 And it's very unique. Uh, it's very... I, I like the story, the premise of the story that you you selected. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Ye Bear and Ye Cub? Sure. So Ye Bear and Ye Cub is the story of the first recorded English language play in North America, and then the trial that it sort of sparked. Uh, but essentially, we have like three scant paragraphs in the historical record from Accomack, Virginia in 1665 that tell us that there was this trial and that these people, William Darby and Cornelius Watkinson and Philip Howard, put on a play called The Bear and the Cub. And then they were taken to court over it uh, and had to present the, tr the play again to the justices of the peace so they could determine if the play was illegal or not. <laughs> Um, which is this interesting thing where you end up with a sort of justice whose position is to interpret law suddenly in a position where they need to interpret a piece of art. Um, and then the questions around why would this person whose name was Edward Martin be so upset about this play that they would go through all of the trouble of bringing them to court over it and going through multiple court appearances. <laughs> to try to figure out the legality of if this should be allowed in our country or not. Yeah, that just, you know, for at first when I was reading about that in the press release, I was like, 
why is a judge deciding about a play? And then I had to think, well, this is pre-revolutionary times. We do not have, you know, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. This is puritanical law. So nothing about ye bear and ye cub sounds immoral, but it's puritanical law. So they might be like, oh, I don't know. Mm. Well, that theater potentially clad. Right. Theater had been forbidden in London just previous to this. So now the rules over from, you know, from Great Britain and then the rules in the colonies, it's all a little muddy and nobody's really figured out yet what's going on. The justices are just everyday people, right? These are farmers with rule books. So it really is, you really get this sense of like a new place trying to figure out what it is and what it's going to be. Yeah. How did you come upon this show? I, I had been reading some theater history textbook or something, and there was just like maybe one sentence about the bear and the cub, the first English language play we have a record of. And I thought, hmm, huh, why don't I know much more about that? So then I started doing research around it um, and talking with my theater ensemble at Number 11 Productions, and we all started having these really interesting conversations about like what does you know the i'm sure there were other plays that happened right in north america before the bear and the cub but this is sort of like the first recorded english language play and then we thought oh there's so many there's so much context that has to be given to understand what the first you know play was which led us also towards conversations around well who were these people who gets to tell the stories and who gets to criticize the stories and who gets to decide if the stories are okay. And also how that's all related to what's been written down. And then the bigger question of what hasn't been written down. So all of, all of those thoughts were really interesting to sort of play around with and see through the eyes of these characters whose names we had. And we have a little context around what Accomack, Virginia was like in 1665. So in trying to be truthful to all of the historical information we do have, having to make up way more <laughs> information about what we don't have. Because what we don't have is any record of what the bear and the cub was actually about. Hmm. So we show pieces of the bear and the cub in our play, but that's all sort of a fabricated idea of the kind of thing maybe they would have presented in this tavern okay so i mean like literally using like context clues would be like this is what we think it could be based on this transcript or this suggestion kind of thing totally because historically all we know is that there was a play called the bear and the cub and it was performed in folks tavern on august 27th of 1665 and that's the information. And then the rest is all historical fiction. You would have thought somebody would have thought to write the play down, but no. <laughs> well, that's a question. It's like, where did it go? What happened? Although these, yeah, these people probably also weren't, they probably, you know, how much of the play was ever written down is a question or was it really more them, more like an improv, like improvisational show? Like how much structure was there? All of that. So what has it been de uh, like developing this show? So developing this show was like a safe haven of creativity away from all of the noise and chaos that was the last several years of our lives. 
Um, and our ensemble members got together, mostly on Zoom, a couple times a week. And we had a shared Google document. And we would collaboratively write scenes, or people might come in with a particular scene or monologue that we would all look at and figure out, like, how does this best shape into our full narrative? Does this sound like this character? Ooh, maybe if we change this word, this would have a slightly different impact. Um, and it was as much conversation around what interested us, it interested all of us as it was actually trying to write a script together. Um, and then we've done several readings. I think there have been three readings up until this full production where we would do a sort of, we did an in-person reading and then we did a series of rewrites. We did a Zoom reading, we did a series of rewrites. We did another in-person sort of workshop, did a series of rewrites, and now finally doing a full production at 59. Very cool. Oh, so I'm so excited it's, it's finally gotten a full production. I'm hoping this isn't the end of the line. I hope it has many more productions as I'm excited that it's a, a slightly immersive experience as the um, press release said. Now, without giving too much away, can you give us a little bit of a hint as to what that experience is kind of like? Yes. You know, it's so funny because I, um, I think most, uh, many people, myself included, hear immersive and it's like, oh no. <laughs> um, but basically, because historically the tavern would also have been the courthouse. So when the justice of the peace asks them to perform the play again, they are being asked to perform the play at the original location, actually, even though the time of day suggests, oh, now it's a courthouse, now it's a tavern, it's always the same space. And that was something that really theatrically intrigued us. And we thought, well, the tavern has almost, and courtroom have almost become a character in this play. And we need to sort of include the audience because everyone really needs to be at the tavern that day. So we've created several ways to sort of bring the audience into the world and sort of break the fourth wall. And the sort of rules, our rules for participation, because number 11 does a lot of audience participation, um, but our rules of participation are always, it has to be optional, it has to be offered and then it has to sort of be fully accepted by someone before anyone's asked to participate. <laughs> um, in this show, we have tavern seats, which are onstage seats that come with a beer and a craft project. Um, and <laughs> then the rest of the audience is, um, we have like, we offer drinks to people because it is, there's sort of like a little bit of a, like a drinking game element I, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks, um, which creates a sort of, we hope, sense of community, right? And the sense of sort of camaraderie that would exist in this sort of space at this sort of time. Um, and also encourages the audience to become sort of co-storytellers with us, which has a sort of lovely effect towards the end, I think. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, this sounds so good. Mm. What is the message or thought that you're hoping that audiences will take away? I really think we want audiences walking away from this piece, thinking about who tells stories, who's allowed to tell stories, and then how they're, and then 
to evaluate or think a little bit more about how they're criticized mm -hmm. and what that means and how it's both or can be both a helpful thing and also a harmful thing. Um, I think the piece offers probably way more questions than it does answers. And I think it connects you to both the idea of what it means to be a creator and the idea of what it means to be a critic, which I think we all are inherently is like, we go through the world, whether you're a theater artist or not a theater artist. I think we all have both sides of our brain working all the time in terms of creativity and the sort of like critical mind that's always like, what, how else could I do that? And what else is happening? And how can I make this better? Like, maybe I just hate this and I don't know why. And, I love that. That's an important, some important messages or thoughts to have, especially now, especially yeah, right totally. now. It, and it feels extremely relevant at the moment. And every time yeah. I, I see an article or hear another thing that's closing suddenly or um, is being celebrated in a certain way, I, I keep thinking about this play and mm -hmm. how it's, it really is trying to like open up the conversation a little bit about what is really happening. Yeah. And, and yeah, what does it mean to theater as an art form and to how we're like treating each other? The last question I want to ask you on this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to this show? You know, as we were writing it and as we were coming back, I think we were thinking like, oh, this is a post pandemic play, whatever that means. Right. But of course it's not, we're still in a global pandemic and now we're like New York's in the red zone and all of these things are still happening. But I think so many of our friends and so many of the like other creators we know have been thinking so much about what what is theater? What are we actually doing? How, why does it matter? Does it matter at all? And I think first and foremost, this play is for those people. It's for people who want to think about and explore the importance of art in our culture, the importance of theater in our culture. Um, and then I also think it's for people who are seeking or value a sense of community and togetherness. And I think the show, I hope the show successfully sort of brings people together, makes people feel good as they leave um, and think about what it means to create community and the different ways that we can do that. Oh, that's so wonderful. shift now and uh the conversation a little bit more to you so our audience members can get uh to know you a little bit better and i want to kick things off by asking what shows playwrights or composers have inspired you in the past oh that is such a tricky question i mean that i am most inspired truthfully by my by the ensemble of artists that i get to work with on a consistent basis I mean, these are the artists that I've been working with for 14 years and who are incredible in terms of their artistry and commitment and collaboration. And I like, 
I deeply value and believe in sort of the genius of a collective. Um, and not that I entirely reject like the singularity sort of idea or concept of like, well, that person's a genius. But I um, I firmly believe that many minds working together towards a common goal can achieve something greater than any individual person might have done on their own. And that's something that I've found through my theater company and with my theater company. Um, and I love those artists very, very much. Oh, that's amazing. Shout out to the other artists there. I know you've been very busy lately. You guys just finished uh, previews. I believe opening night is tomorrow, if memory serves me right. It was last night. Last night. Congratulations. Catching You're catching me the day after. <laughs> <laughs> well, your opening night was last night, but have you had a chance to see any great theater lately that you might be able to recommend to our listeners? You know, I have been so busy that I have not. I also, I will, you know, I also work on, I'm the associate director for Kimberly Akimbo, which is excellent. And I highly recommend everyone goes to see that um, because it's a beautiful musical and everyone involved is sort of stunning in their own way and everyone should see it. So I'm going to go with that because it's the thing that I have been around the most. And um, it's been a very important part of my life over the last two years as well. What is your favorite part about working in the theater? My favorite part about working in theater is just all of the incredible people that I get to work with. And I know I already mentioned like how much I love and value collaboration, but just being in spaces where I'm making and creating and telling stories with like-minded and other-minded human beings who sort of expand on a project and what can happen in a room is is just an extraordinary and life-affirming experience for me. And then also I think I'm I'm just a little nerdy when it comes to like the research element of what it means to work on theater. And I love that with each project comes a whole new sort of slew like a slew of information that now it's like oh now I need to learn all about this sort of thing and now I'm going to have to research all of these kinds of things and just that sort of um pursuit for understanding a world in a particular way so that you can bring some sort of like so you can elucidate something within it is always really exciting to me I am excited to ask this because I, I can't wait to hear the, your answer. This is my favorite question to ask guests. And it's, what is your favorite theater memory? And now I'm thinking like, how far back should I go? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, there's so many, there's so many moments that I remember. And I think like, oh, that was a sort of pivotal moment for me in terms of seeing a piece of theater. Uh, I was in high school when Bat Boy the Musical was playing like half of Union Square. And I remember going and thinking that theater was like Phantom of the Opera and like this sort of very like fancy thing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, like this is really cool. Like theater can, theater can also, what theater means can be super broad and expansive and different. And I remember going to see a production of Bug at the Barrow Street Theater and being really blown away by that production and like all of these m like sort of moments 
and productions in my life that I can pinpoint and go, oh, that was pivotal. And that really changed the way I thought about theater and thought about the world. And, and like, I'm thinking about also like the first immersive thing I went to, which I think was, uh, it was a play directed by someone named Josh Fox. And it was basically like uh, about the sort of war in Afghanistan. And it was this wild piece that moved all around this space. And I thought, oh, well, I've never seen anything like this before. And this is really extraordinary and scary and exciting and made me want to do more and keep keep pursuing theater. Are there any other productions or projects that you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug? Well, you know, number 11 has been, we've put all of our energy into the bear and the cub right now. And we're eager to sort of see the bear and the cub move on and do other things. Um, and then we also, so we're kind of now in a position where we're starting to write our next piece. Um, and then also planning, we do an annual production of A Christmas Carol, which is sort of an interactive telling of A Christmas Carol where our core ensemble takes on the main roles. And then there are 18 roles that we um, offer to audience members. So like people show up and they're asked if they'd like to watch the play or if they would like to be a part of the play. And if you say, yes, I'd like to be a part, you're given the roles you could choose from. And you might say like, oh, I'd like to be Tiny Tim or I'd like to be Martha. Uh, and we have a little costume piece and then a prop that will have all of your lines on it. And you basically get this sort of almost like um, you get a group telling of a Christmas carol that happens around space uh, in a in a party setting, which is an annual tradition that we do as a theater company. We're not doing it this year because the slot at 59 is 59 was through December 23rd. And we did have a moment where we thought, well, surely we could rehearse straight. And then, no, 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 <laughs> we mustn't do this. But we will be doing that next year for sure. Um, and I'm hopefully we'll be doing a reading of our, our new play before then. That sounds amazing. I will be there next year for this Christmas Carol because that that it sounds like the Christmas so Carol fun. I want to go see. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, if our listeners want to get more information about Ye Bear and Ye Cub or about you or they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do that? So they can go to um, number 11's website. So that's no11productions.com. And then all of the information about the number 11 theater ensemble, as well as information, you know, it links to information for the bear and the cub, or they can go to 5090s, 59's website, and they also have all of the information about getting tickets and when the shows are and all of that. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and tell me about this incredible show that I get to see Friday and I'm so excited for and just sharing this. This has been wonderful. Thank you. No, thank you. And I'm excited to, that you're going to see it Friday. I'm sh I'll probably be there. So I'll, I'll, you'll meet me in person. I can't wait. <laughs> My guest today has been director Ryan Emmons, who is the director of uh, Ye Bear and Ye Cub, which is being created and presented by Number 11 Productions. It is running December 13th through the 23rd at 59E59 Theaters. You can get tickets and more information at uh, 59e59.org or head on over to Number 11 Productions website at 
no11productions.com and that's no11 number 11 uh there you can get information and uh tickets about you bear and you cub as well as information about the ensemble um yeah i'm sure they'll be keeping you up to date about their new work that they'll be having a reading of soon and this incredible immersive christmas carol they'll be doing next year so make sure that you stay tuned to them so until next time i'm andrew cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones Unwrap your candies and keep your masks on and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is DJ by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>